Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, the remnant of true Bible-believing Christians. Thank you for being uh, partners with us here at the ministry, for your prayers and support, and for tuning in. A lot of news stories and headlines to get to today. Um, So let's just do this right away. Father, thank you for another day uh, to serve you and to love you, Lord. And we pray that we may decrease, that Jesus may increase in our lives. Um, Lord, humble, help us humble ourselves so that you don't have to do it. And uh, I know that you promised to exalt us, lift us up in due time. And we pray, Lord, that we would have a proper perspective from an eternal viewpoint, because we are here for such a time as this in this very brief timeline of eternity here in the year 2021. Thank you for giving us purpose and meaning in our lives and for a mission that never changes, no matter what's going on around us, no matter the circumstances, no matter the opposition. Lord, thank you for giving us a mission and purpose and give us passion to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, it's so many things to get to. Uh, listener comment, a couple of them. Uh, one says they just uh, were thankful for the podcast and mentioned some of their favorite guests, Scott Lively, which it's funny, he's going to be on tomorrow. Steve Smotherman, who was on last week, Heidi St. John, Paul Blair, Bill Perkins, and many others. And this is Colleen from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I just came across this uh, comment again, that was sent uh, a while ago. But thank you guys for listening for your comments. And I also want to thank John Ahern. Maybe we'll talk to John today. Uh, He's in Hancock, New York. He leaves me voice messages updating uh, me on what he's doing there. He's trying to get an event going. Actually, he's got it planned for Saturday called We the People. He's got banners made up in the town square, just trying to get Christians to get engaged back in the not not necessarily even the political process, just to be engaged in what's happening in the country. So people like him, John, thank you, and God bless you, brother. I know you're listening. So thank you for all that you do, and I pray that you would surrender your expectations on the event. We always want to have a big turnout, but these things start off small. But God willing, it will snowball, and I pray that he will enlarge your territory, brother. So thank you for working for the Lord in Hancock, New York. Uh, thank you to Calvary Chapel, Appleton, Wisconsin. Um, they just ordered more of my books, Canceling Christianity. By the way, it's the only place in the Fox Cities, if you're in Wisconsin, in the Valley, it's the only place that you can get my book other than ordering it online from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Olive Tree Views, Jan Markell's ministry, J.B. Hickson's ministry, Gary Cause ministry, Good Fight, um, Good Fight Ministries. There's many other places you can get it if you don't want to get it from Amazon. But in Appleton, in person, we have s- several cases here at the studios in De Pere, Wisconsin, but in the Valley, Calvary Chapel, Appleton. Thank you guys for selling out. And also Lighthouse in Green Bay. They had to reorder as well, Lighthouse Christian Stores. So I want to thank them because, as you know, I, I don't have a big publisher behind me. I don't have a, a big uh, PR firm, and I don't have a publicist. And, and it's just really through you, through word of mouth, through the body of Christ. And uh, we've got over 60 reviews on Amazon uh, right now. That's a very good thing. 59 of them are positive. We got a few people that, you know, they find the title and they read the description. They're offended. So they don't even buy the book. They just go and make a comment saying, this is ridiculous. How dare you? And so there are three of those comments and they give you a one-star rating. But if you have read the book, please go to the Amazon page, Canceling Christianity, and leave a review, please. A fair one, whatever you, I mean, I want your honest thoughts. I don't expect everybody to agree with me, but I do expect people to review the book. I do expect people to have read the book if you're going to post a review. Congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I am not a big basketball fan anymore, uh, but um, I understand they won in six games. And in fact, Travis, were they down two to nothing and came back and won four in a row? 
I think that's what I heard. So the reason I'm bringing that up is, according to Christian headlines, Giannis, I can't even uh, attempt to say his last name. Do you know how to pronounce his last name? Okay, he's shaking his head no. Uh, I'm extremely blessed, he said. Uh, and the headline is, Guided by Faith, He Wins His First NBA Title. Well, Giannis, of course, is the MVP. Phenomenal player. Scored 50 points the other night. He's known as the Greek Freak. He was born in Athens, Greece, son of Nigerian parents who immigrated to the country here, the USA, in search of a better life. They grew up in poverty. And he said he started playing basketball to help his family. Well, just a recent quote. I Now here, I will, as you know, I'm not a massive sports fan anymore. I will no longer be, struggle with idolatry to any level in, in pro sports or entertainment. A lot of people do. I did 10 years ago, but I no longer do. I root for individuals who are Christian, coaches, players, those who will be outspoken about their faith and unashamed of the gospel. That's who I pull for when it comes to sports and entertainment. You may pull for others, but I do not. I have not pulled for the Green Bay Packers for many years now. The only Christian I think I know for sure, I think the punter is Tim uh, Mast day or something, but I don't know of any other Christians on the team. I know um, one of the most prominent players on the team was driven away from God, and he's a universalist now, if not an atheist. He has mocked God. He grew up in a Christian family, and he got um, led away, led astray by a local pastor here who was a chaplain for the Packers several years ago, 10 years ago, and uh, this prominent player for the Green Bay Packers got hooked up with Rob Bell, who doesn't believe hell is a literal place and doesn't believe the Bible is the inerrant, perfect Word of God. So I pull for teams such as the, the Philadelphia Eagles. Travis and I were just talking about that. The year they won the Super Bowl, I don't pull for them anymore. But I did for a couple years, including the year they won the Super Bowl. They, were, they had a phenomenal chaplain who understood the gospel and discipleship. They were baptizing players in the recovery room pool. And they were even I saw a picture of a baptism when they were visiting at a football game uh, they had on a Sunday. At a Saturday, they were baptizing players in a hotel pool, that they, the hotel they were staying at. So Carson Wentz. Uh, Zach Ertz, um, what's the other guy that went to the Bears? Nick Nick Foles, well, the other guy, my goodness. Um, no, Trey Burton, that's who I was thinking of. But the, And you go on down the list, they had outspoken players that were unashamed of the gospel and of Christ. And the, this day and age, friends, these are young men, right? They're in their 20s, maybe 30s. God bless them for taking a stand. And now they're all dispersed, spread out around the league. Carson Wentz is in... Uh, Indianapolis with Frank Reich, who is a phenomenal Christian head coach. Um, so it looks like I'll be pulling for the Colts this year. But anyway, um, he said, this is Giannis of the Milwaukee Bucks, who just credited God after he won his first uh, NBA MVP in 2019. He said, first of all, I want to thank God for blessing me with this amazing talent, for putting me in the position I am today. Everything I do, I do through him. I'm extremely blessed. And back in 2015, in a blog, he said his motto was walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Uh, he was baptized in the Greek Orthodox Church in 2012. I did not hear the post-game speech uh, trophy presentation for the NBA Finals. I did not hear that. I don't know if he mentioned God or Jesus, or if anybody did. But you know Tom Brady never will, because he is God, small g. Uh, we talked about that before the podcast. Um, th a lot of players, uh, they won't give God the time of day. Uh, I don't want anything to do with them. They need Christ. They need to hear the gospel. Pray for them. Once you have done that, move on. Support someone who at least will believe in sharing the gospel for standing up for their faith, for the truth, and maybe even believing in discipleship. It's not going to be popular, and it's going to be harder and harder in the years to come. Now, next, <laughs> Amy Grant. And now we open up the, the subject of contemporary Christian music. Um, we took her music off the radio station many years ago because she came out, I think it was in favor of gay marriage at the time. I don't remember what the controversy was, um, but maybe it was, you know, she was supported uh Planned Parenthood. I don't remember for sure. Don't quote me, but I can quote her who recently said, um, where is her quote? It's so important to set a welcome table, gay, straight, it doesn't matter. So Amy Grant made these remarks in an interview on this, uh, this gay LGBTQ proud radio, I guess it's called, host Hunter Kelly, who of course is gay, 
Amy Grant said, none of us are a surprise to God. Nothing about who we are or what we've done. That's why to me, to not to God, not to the word of God, but to an entertainer and a musician in Nash Vegas, it's important to me to set a welcome table because I was once invited to the table. It doesn't matter how we behave, she said. It doesn't matter how we are wired, end quote. That's Amy Grant. She said, what matters is we're loved. Uh, Grant's words were celebrated by Kelly and other members of the LGBT community on social media. Eventually, uh, in Kelly, there's a little background on him in this article over at uh, ChristianHeadlines.com. He came to believe that he was simply born gay. This was years ago. And he said this, quote, I now believe I was born that way, but my big breakthrough came when a counselor I had as a young adult told me it didn't matter how I got there. But to hear Amy Grant on this episode say that I'm so that I am welcome at God's table as a gay man is so affirming. Thank you, Amy Grant. You've changed my life in so many ways. God has worked many of her greatest wonders in my life through you. I call God she to fight the patriarchy. End quote. LGBT activist Hunter Kelly and Another former uh, band we used to play on this radio station called Everyday Sunday, Trey Pearson, came out as gay um, in 2016, five years ago. He shared his appreciation for Amy Grant, saying she's the best. And what, uh, what um, she said about, you know, gay, straight, it doesn't matter. So, again, uh, I don't know where Amy's heart is. Only God does. What I am just, I'm reading her quotes in her own words, sharing the headlines and how other people perceive them. And I'm calling it compromise uh, because so many artists, when they get popular and famous, they compromise. They back down on the gospel, on the truth of Scripture, and it's so sad to see. But especially someone so influential, it's so sad to see. Now, um, one other thing. I just want to read some scriptures that just had me basically <laughs> bawling on Sunday. I preached at a church on Sunday in Menasha, Wisconsin, and uh, the last song they played before the the worship was done was called uh, "He Is He Worthy?" Is is, the, is it, He is worthy or is He worthy? And uh, what a phenomenal song! And I was just literally in tears, and I had to get up and preach. Right, so I get up, and for the la- for the first minute and a half, I just really couldn't talk. A uh, lady uh, brought me a box of Kleenex, and I. It just got me. So I knew I had surrendered to God, and I wanted him to speak through me. And I just want to read some scriptures that really ministered to my heart, and I preached on just responding to the signs of these last days and the end times and responding to what's happening in our world and redeeming the time. That was the general message I was sharing with this church on Sunday. Revelation 5, starting in verse 2, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. Then I began to weep greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And then they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Revelation chapter 5. And a fascinating verse in there, when it calls, a, a, it says, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. Jesus has overcome. If you go to Revelation 22, 
This is verse 16. It says, I, Jesus, this is, by the way, it's the final chapter in the whole Word of God in the Bible. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you of these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star, the bright morning star. Stop right there. Think about this. How can he be the source and the fruit? How can he be the root and the fruit? In other words, he is the root and the descendant of David. He is the root from which David came. And the descendant of David, Jesus, the Messiah, came through the line of King David. Fascinating, isn't it? That's Revelation twenty-two sixteen. Jesus is Lord. He is the truth. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the root and the descendant of David. Revelation twenty-two sixteen. So then um, we talked about what we can expect in these last. What do we expect these last days to work to look like? We mentioned Second Timothy three, and if you read that, you'll understand signs of the church, of people's hearts, of humanity. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, we're in a very different place now than we were, especially even in America, a free nation, um, pretty much. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I want to play a clip here, and we need to shift gears and talk about something very important, and that is wokeness. This issue of racial injustice is not going away. This issue of critical race theory, it's already in the university system. I mean, permeated the university system. It's already in the public schools. Not all schools, but it's been in the schools. They've been lying, those who have said it's not in the schools. Now they're trying to push it into more schools, and there's a debate about that. But, uh, Travis, do you have that clip ready? This is um, Miles, uh, Miles Lucas, Lucas Miles. Lucas Miles. He's got a book called The Christian Left, and... Um, I just want to play what he shared. It's just a two-minute clip in front of a city council or a school council meeting, public meeting that he attended. Go ahead. In the past two months, I've done over 150 national news interviews addressing the historic fallacies and socialist roots of critical theory. Unlike a lot of people present in this room, I'm not a parent. In fact, until recently, I've been so focused on the national conversation surrounding CRT that I haven't had much time to consider what might be happening within the school system in my own backyard. And while I'm not a parent, I'm here at the request of countless parents, PHM faculty, area business leaders, and even current school board members who have all expressed interest in hearing my expertise on this subject. I heard the recent statements from Superintendent Thacker claiming that PHM does not teach critical race theory. As a national expert on this subject, I have to assume one of two things. Either school administrators simply do not understand critical theory well enough to distinguish when it is and is not being presented, or they are knowingly and deceptively teaching CRT to students. My preference is to believe the former, and I'm willing to forgive any previously made poor decisions regarding curriculum selection as either emotional reactivity to national news or general ignorance on the topic. However, what's not forgivable is anything less than the administration and school board taking decisive action to remove CRT principles from all PHM school curriculum. Critical theory is vastly complex. My assumption is that I'm one of only a few, if any in this room, who've taken the time to truly read Hegel, Marx, and various essays by Herbert Marcuse, which build the framework for modern-day critical theory. If you had, you'd know that the current PHM SCL curriculum, which I have taken the time to personally evaluate, is laced with Marxist ideology, which forces our children to distinguish themselves based upon one of two categories, either oppressed or oppressor. Historically, the objective of critical theory was to dismantle existing society and aid in a proletarian revolution. Today, it is being used in much the same way to disrupt the nuclear family, dismantle heteronormativity, and demolish a perceived white hegemony. These objectives will only serve to further divide us as people, and instead of students being made to feel welcome and included, will instead create an us versus them mentality among our children. Today, you have the opportunity to do something about this, to reject critical race theory and to remove the current SEL curriculum as it stands. While you may have begun this journey ignorant of the ideology of critical theory, now that you know and by failing to act, you're demonstrated a concerted effort to twist the minds of our students and to teach corrupt ideas. Thank you. Lucas Miles at that uh, meeting in Indiana, the school board meeting. I pray for more godly men and women who are informed and have studied and knowledgeable about this, who are bold enough to approach either the school board 
meetings during the public time when you can speak, or city council meetings, as, for example, Paul Blair did. And this is a quote from Paul Blair, and then we have to take a break, and I've got more to say. By the way, the key takeaway from that, educators are either ignorant or complicit. There's rarely middle ground. There might be in some cases. There's rarely middle ground. They're either ignorant about what critical race theory is, or they're complicit in the agenda by the left and the Democrats and progressives. Now, Paul Blair, LibertyPastors.com, senior pastor, Edmond, Oklahoma, he said this, and this kind of ties in not only critical race theory, but Amy Grant and, and the entertainment industry, even Christian musicians that are compromising on LGBT issues. He said this, a new family joined Fairview Baptist Church yesterday from another congregation. They had gone to their leadership asking, where does our church stand on abortion, and why don't we speak about it? The answer they received was, well, we have members on both sides of the issue. Did you hear that? So in other words, it's not popular to speak about it because we might offend half the congregation or whatever, the members on the other side. How These are leaders, these are pastors that say this. That's how they respond. And Paul Blair continues, You cannot be a true follower of Christ and support the murder of unborn children. If you don't know where your church stands on abortion, gay, quote, marriage, and critical race theory, you need to find a bold church that stands for biblical truth without compromise. Paul Blair. That's uh, senior pastor, Fairview Baptist Church, Edmond, Oklahoma. Unashamed of the gospel, we must be. Unafraid of confronting evil and exposing the darkness. Is it popular? No. Our rewards are in heaven, but who are we seeking the approval of, God or man? A whole lot more to come up on Stand Up For The Truth next. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. And I mentioned Paul Blair earlier. I've been uh, sharing a lot about him. He is one of the organizers of Liberty Pastors. I'll be gone um, for a couple days next week, leaving this weekend for a conference in Edmond, Oklahoma, a Liberty Pastors conference where Paul Blair, Dan Fisher, Alex Newman, uh, Rick Scarborough, uh, Dr. Lee Merritt, America's Frontline Doctors, and James Taylor, Dr. James Taylor, and others are going to be there. But um, there is another conference. You do not have to be a pastor to attend if you are an influencer, if you have a sphere of influence and a position and some sort of ministry you are most welcome to go as a non-pastor. The next one is going to be, I think it's early September in Houston, Texas. This one I'm going to is in Oklahoma. Last year, of course, I was in Dallas. But I want to quote John Stone Street on this topic again. This is not going to go away, friends. We need to know how to respond to these worldly philosophies, wokeness, worldly philosophies. He said this, Wokeness is built on a worldview without salvation and offers an eschatology with no real hope. Through the proclama- through, though the proclaimed goal is to end oppression, it's a work dedicated to tearing down things but unable to build or offer anything better. Advocates of critical race theory, for example, argue that although race is a cultural construct, Racism is inevitable and irredeemable trait of certain groups and society. They cannot offer a vision of the world in which this sin is defeated or redeemed, much less one in which the guilty are forgiven and restored. The best they can be, the best that can be hoped for is to replace one set of powers with another, playing off legitimate concerns about power and corruption, concerns first introduced to the world by a Christian vision of life and the world, critical theories push these ideas to the point of reframing the gospel. John Stone Street, breakpoint.org. Again, there's no redemption, no forgiveness in critical race theory. There's only, you know, the oppressed and the oppressor, and there's only, it, it ends up being punishing one group for the, quote, sins of their ancestors, and you've heard about um, reparations. There's actually people that are pushing this, that they're going to give money, taxpayer dollars, money from the federal government. Somehow, they're going to take it from those who are deemed guilty 
and give it to those who are deemed the victims of this past oppression. Understand, this: there's no redemption in this. That is not the gospel. It is a perversion of the biblical worldview. Please understand this. All right, we've got to move on. I want to mention this study before we talk about misinformation. The Generation Z, um, this article over at notthebee.com. You've heard of the Babylon Bee, right? Well, this is notthebee.com. Gen Z may not be worshiping God, but they're still worshiping something. So there's an article that I just want to share a couple paragraphs. The millennial and the Gen Z, the Gen Z generations are the only ones that have been raised by their cell phones. They get their news from their phones. They begin maintain and end relationships on their cell phones or iPhones. They are persuaded and manipulated by social media mobs that manifest on their iPhones. They form opinions and ideas, political, social, and yes, religious, based not on the Word of God, not on what your pastor teaches if you go to a good church on Sundays, based off of what they see and hear on their cell phones. There's no time or space for critical thinking on cell phones, only soundbite, meme-generated, pseudo-profundity. On a cell phone, you never have to be sure of what you believe and why. So long as you regularly pound away with the mob at what you don't believe and why. Faith and traditional concepts of God are easy targets to pound away at, to attack and that's why they're, they're so... Let me, he go, it goes on, it says, um, now these numbers apparently are from a new study. What's happening with the 56% of millennials and 67% of Gen Zers who reject belief in God, belief in their creator. Here's the point this makes, though, briefly. They may not be worshiping God, but they're worshiping something else. They are worshiping a God, some of them many gods, small g, whether that be entertainment or the idol of race. They worship the idol of sex. They worship the idol of self. Oh, my goodness. This goes back decades, by the way. Self-worship. How about the idol of science, or I should say so-called science? They worship the idol of political power. They worship the idol of earth and get involved in the battle for the existential threat of climate change. They worship counterfeit gods, and these gods always disappoint. These gods, small g, always leave you empty and, and sometimes depressed and desperate and hopeless. That's what the world's gods and worldly philosophies do to young people. So even though these stats are about Generation Z and millennials not worshiping the one true God, they have many idols, and they're still worshiping something. What we need to do is get them back to somehow hear the gospel and understand the truth. That's where apologetics comes in, being able to defend the truth and always give an answer for those who might ask. There's a small opening every now and then. It cracks open where you can get in, and it might penetrate the heart of these people who are wondering. They're open to spiritual things, to the possibility of a God who loves them and the truth of the Bible. They don't know it. They've only, they only know what they've been told, right? So next, let's talk about misinformation. Um, by the way, kudos to Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley. And I can go on down the list of men who are trying to stand up to this nonsense and moral relativism and, and false these ideologies that are not based on facts. Senator Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, he said, no, schools must not mandate the COVID vaccination. Um, looking at this couple of things, Virginia Tech, um, University of Colorado, a couple of quotes here. They're going to be requiring vaccinations for all students attending in the fall. But then it says this. I don't know how they're going to work this out. It says, with exemptions for medical reasons and sincerely held religious beliefs. So at least they put that in there. Whether that's going to be applied or allowed or not, that's another story. But at least they're saying that now. And the University of Colorado says, we have determined to require that all 
University of Colorado students, faculty, and staff receive a COVID-19 vaccine before the start of the fall semester. And most universities think they're going to jump right on board here with this and require vaccinations. So is this a free republic? What are we talking about here? We're talking about, I, I don't even know if it's if you can legitimately call them vaccines, but you can call them gene therapy, um, some would call it experimental. These quote-unquote vaccines are still not approved by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. Did you know that? They're still not approved. They don't have FDA approval. But they're authorized for emergency use by the government's career scientists and physicians in the Center for Biologics, Evaluation, and Research. Right? Okay, so now that we know or we're reminded that, um, so I can't say either way whether the vaccine is good or bad. I can say there should be some red flags and there should be some concerns. And the way the government is forcing this on people or the propaganda behind this, what we've seen in the last couple of years, should be alarming to every freedom-loving American citizen because this is not America, what we're seeing today. This is actually astounding what's happening. So I'm thankful there are some senators and congressmen willing to stand up to this. Um, I'm pulling up a report done by VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, um, the Journal of the American Medical Association reported these adverse events reporting system. That's what VAERS is, adverse events. What is an adverse event? When someone has a severe reaction to a vaccine or ther gene therapy, they have adver there are adverse re reactions. We'll never know the true numbers, I don't think. Hopefully, maybe the truth will come out. But there's a couple headlines saying the CDC Center for Disease Control data reveals that the COVID-19 vaccines are 18,000% more deadly than the flu vaccines. What does that mean? That means people do respond or get side effects from the flu vaccines or from the COVID vaccines, but there are some people that are dying from the COVID vaccines. It's a small percentage, but it's enough of a percentage that should alert us to some of these statistics that the media is not reporting. And why are they hiding it? You have to ask that. Why are they covering up the truth? They talk about COVID cases, a spike in COVID cases. They never put it in context, or they rarely ever, I shouldn't say never, they rarely put it in context of the entire population of America, the context of whatever city or state they are talking about, and whether that's elderly people in nursing homes or assisted living facilities who are the most vulnerable. And now they're talking about giving the vaccine to young children in schools and wake, making them wear masks for seven, eight hours a day, seven hours a day. So VAERS, it says, according to VAERS, 3.5% of all COVID-19 adverse events were deaths. 3.5% of all those who had some sort of reaction to a COVID-19 vaccine, 3.5% were deaths. This is according to the CDC. VAERS, V-A-E-R-S. If you're not familiar with that, you can look that up. Um, so there are some interesting stats. Um, the actual number of deaths from COVID-19 vaccines, I'm not sure we'll ever know for sure. But um, the actual number of adverse events could be over 5 million from this website. Advert, meaning some sort of reaction, right? Some sort of reaction. Remember, there are, what, 330 million uh, the population in America. This is talking about the United States. So they could be, it says, according to this article, 1,785 deaths from COVID vaccines. Um, I'm not sure if that was in, a, in an earlier time. This is March 21 by March 20, March 26, 2021. So that's the study. Um, this one was at greatmountainpublishing.com. New study on VAERS system. What, what they're reporting. They're only reporting approximately 1%. This is just an amazing thing. So let's talk about misinformation now. Um, the left's campaign for power. We saw this coming. This is my article this week, and uh, we're going to take a break in a few minutes. When we come back, 
we're going to go right into a Ted Cruz clip, an audio clip from him in a, an interview a few days ago. Many of the news stories reported by conservative outlets over the last couple years, actually probably longer than that, have been censored or suppressed by big tech. We know that. The progressives have been doing this. And now those stories that were once called, quote, conspiracy theories or um, misinformation, now they've been proven true. Just a few examples. The Hunter Biden laptop. Hmm, and all that information on there, the damning information on there. Interesting, if that would have come out before the election, studies have shown people would not have supported Joe Biden. There's a percentage of people, I don't remember what it was, but even if it was 8% of Democrats, that's a big number if you're talking about the, those that voted in the election. They said if had they known this about the corruption between Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden, and China and Russia and his laptop and everything that was found on there, had they known about this, they might thought, they might have thought twice about voting for Joe Biden. Interesting, but we'll never know now, will we? We can only speculate. So that was one story, the Hunter Biden laptop. The other, what about the origin of the Wuhan China virus? Um, it seems to have come from Wuhan, China. <laughs> and of course, the flawed science behind devastating lockdowns. Devastating. Um, the problem is, most people just aren't hearing about the the... When the media censors something and then finds out it's true six months or years later, they'll put it on the back page of their either website or their newspaper, if you still read newspapers, or they, they won't even report it if it's a half hour or hour program on cable news or whatever. So they, you just don't get to the truth, but they, at first they call it fake news or they call it um, conspiracy theory. The problem is people don't hear it because of the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers of the news and information, that's what we're going to talk about. Gatekeepers of the news and information. The bottom line, truth was censored, and it is being censored. So what's happening now? We can expect more of this as social media giants now align with the O'Biden-Harris administration to moderate, monitor, and control public information. But there's an interesting twist to this story. The Biden administration may be unintentionally helping President Trump's lawsuit against the big tech giants. Senator Cruz has been pushing back hard on this, saying the Biden administration wants to have the power to silence you. True statement. But they're, what they're doing, however, is unconstitutional, contrary to the First Amendment and to a free society. So the left is calling it misinformation needing to be suppressed, but it almost always helps Joe Biden by censoring it. Isn't that interesting? That's also known as a double standard or one-way tolerance. But it is not legal for government and private corporations to work together politically. We'll get to Ted Cruz and what he said about this in a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Listen, the Biden administration believes in power. They want to have the power to silence you. They want to have the power to silence any criticism. I got to admit, for a politician, if you could have all your critics simply disappear and unable to criticize you, that might be pretty nice. It's contrary to the Constitution. It's contrary to the First hmm. Amendment. It's contrary to a free democracy. But, but the Biden administration is getting big tech to be the arm in silencing critics. And by the way, what they call misinformation very conveniently always benefits Democrats, always benefits Joe Biden. They've been wrong over and over and over again. So they got big tech, for example, to silence, to disappear, to block the New York Post for the story on Hunter Biden's laptop. Why? Because it was politically damaging to Joe Biden. We now know that story was true, but they called it misinformation. They also got big tech to block anyone suggesting that the Wuhan virus actually came from the Chinese government labs in Wuhan. It now, I think the preponderance of the evidence suggests that the virus escaped from a Chinese government lab, and yet big tech made that disappear. And one of the striking things, so it's interesting watching the Biden White House try to backstep a little bit from, from their statements last mm. week, but what they have inadvertently done is they have strengthened President Donald Trump's lawsuit against big tech, against Facebook and Twitter and Google, because, look, what President Trump argues in the lawsuit is that they are violating the First Amendment by censoring Americans. 
the biggest argument they have in their defense is they're private companies, not the government, and, and the First Amendment only applies to the government. Well, there's an exception to that the Supreme Court has long recognized, which is the government can't use a private company right. to carry out a government policy. And here, this is what they're doing. Here, the Biden White House is asking the big tech monopolists, please silence, block, disappear any views we disagree with. And, and, and I think that's blatantly illegal. It's also an abuse of power that, that, that is really contrary to, to the principles that our country was built on. You are, you are absolutely right that it's contrary to the principles this country is built on and our Constitution. We've never seen anything like this in the land of the free. Why? Why do you think that is? Because propaganda campaigns like this, as well as the monitoring and censoring of citizens, is communist policy. I'll say it again. I wrote about it in my book in a chapter called The One-Party Big Tech Media Conglomerate. It's communist policy. This is what dictators have done through the years. This is what communist nations and socialist nations have done, whether it be Hitler, Stalin, communist policy, propaganda. Dust off your history books if you don't believe me. But sadly, this is what's happened in the last several years and in the U.S. now. So here we are in America, friends. What do we do? What do we do now? It's too late to say, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my, give up. No, no, we can't do that. We've got to stand. We've got to raise awareness about this. This is an accepted double standard that is dangerous. When you've got a one-party system, think about this. Let's talk about racism just for a minute. Think about this. If Joe Biden says we're a systemically racist country, if we are so racist, according to the prognosticators and, and the talking heads and the liberal Democrats, in office. If we are such a systemically racist country, Barack Obama was in office for eight years. Biden will be in office for four years. Trump was in there only for four years in the middle of this. So why haven't they? And by the way, Joe Biden has been in office for, I think, 48 years in public service as a senator for 48 years. Why hasn't he done anything? Why haven't they solved the problem? Why haven't they done anything? Why haven't they improved it? It's interesting because it's, it's, uh, it benefits them financially to keep saying this. Oh, the, the victim, we're the victim. There's, vic there's got to be a victim. There's got to be someone who's oppressed, and we, we're, we're, we're standing with them. Well, they're all talking no action. They don't do anything about it, do they? Otherwise, they would have been implementing some solutions, some policies. But please understand this. The power of information and how it can be used as a weapon by those in control. This is dangerous right now, where we're at in America. And I think most of you know this. So if you haven't been keeping up, what Jen Psaki did, and by the way, she, her middle name should be misinformation, Jen misinformation Psaki, she says Democrats were meeting with social media platforms, if you don't believe me, it's out of her own words, they, they had increased disinformation research and tracking she said that the Biden administration is flagging problematic posts from Facebook that spread disinformation, and what they're doing is boosting, quote, accurate information and, quote, trusted content. Well, first, trusted by who? Who gets to decide what information is accurate and reliable? Well, the governing Democrats, of course, the liberals, the progressives in the White House and the administration, they're the ones that get to decide. Big tech Democrats. Second, this is a blatant violation of every American's First Amendment right to free speech. And even Politico, even left-leaning Politico, left-wing maybe, Biden-allied groups, including the Democratic National Committee, are planning to engage fact-checkers more aggressively, end quote. What the heck does that mean? Radicals are working with SMS carriers to, quote, dispel misinformation about vaccines that is sent over social media and text messages. Wait, wait, our personal text messages on our iPhone? Yep. What about privacy, you may ask? Ah, don't worry about it. They'll deem it justifiable. After all, they're, they're the gatekeepers of misinformation, right? They're just trying to find out accurate information and flag the disinformation. 
just like the lockdowns and recent blue state governor power grabs, they'll deem it justified to do whatever they need to do. I want to quote Britt Gillette. He writes for End Times Bible Prophecy, and the website is endtimesbibleprophecy.com. And he warns that big tech is actually enabling government to trample the rights of, of citizens. And there's surprising support for cancel culture and the demonization of opposing points of view is setting the stage for a government that's going to become more dangerous because they may end up using violence to enforce its edicts. Here's what he said to connect the dots over to another institution, education. He said, college campuses used to be open forums for free speech and radical ideas, but today they're ground zero for the assault on free speech, a place where totalitarians silence all dissent. This dictatorial impulse is spreading from the college campus to the public discourse, leading to censorship both online and offline. The willingness of so many people to suppress free speech foreshadows the rise of a dictatorial state. Friends, we can no longer say, as our great-grandparents may have said, you can almost hear them saying, that could never happen in America. Well, of course, that was 50 to 75 years ago, wasn't it? Here we are, friends. This is no longer an insidious threat to the strength of the nation. It's an open assault on our free republic. But think about the... Think about the hypocrisy of those who called President Trump a dictator or a fascist or totalitarian. They're strangely silent now. They, are, are, they seem to be fine with all this. As long as it's the right, as long as it's Christians, as long as it's conservatives or independents or libertarians that are being silenced or censored, they're not saying anything. I call them cowards. Either you are on the side of the satanic agenda or you are on the side of truth and fairness and open debate and discourse, civil discourse. If you're in the middle, if you're silent, then you are on the complicit side. That's just my view. I could be wrong, but that's just my opinion. So there are a lot of hypocrites on, uh, out there, but there's nothing we can do about that. Our job, regardless of this opposition, is to advance the gospel at whatever means necessary we should all be committed to truth, even if you don't believe in God and you live in America. You should have some sort of commitment to truth, and you should be against censorship. I don't want to censor those who disagree with me. I want them to be challenged. I want to challenge. I want to have a debate, a discussion. I don't want to censor anybody. You can say the most rude, vile things about our God, about Jesus, and if you're a true defender of the truth, you should be like an attack dog saying, wait a minute, this is Jesus you're talking about. And we should be able to have these discussions back and forth. But that's more and more, it's no longer allowed. Okay, so fair elections. Who knows if we'll ever have another one. Um, but there should be respectful disagreements. There's, we should all work for freedom of speech in America for all people, right? We've got about three minutes left. And um, one more, this is just a ridiculous story, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Uh, this is over at Newsbusters, a great website, a, a branch off the uh, Media Research Center. Really? CBS tries to blame Trump for Cuba's crumbling economy. I'm not making this up, friends. Um, CBS Morning, I don't watch any of these networks, and I don't watch the—I'll just quote them. Cuba is rocked by its biggest public protest in decades. And it says, what authorities are doing to keep control. And then it goes on. I'm going to skip some of this because I want to get to the point where it says, you know, I mean, it says thousands of people across Cuba took part in some of the biggest protests on the island in decades. Some now want Cuba's president to step down. Reporting from Miami, there's a correspondent that said demonstrators here in Miami say they're fed up with the food shortages, rising prices, collapsing infrastructure, and the government's response to COVID-19. And then this guy said on Cuban television, Miguel Diaz Canel blamed the protests on the U.S. 
and its trade embargo for a severe impact on Cuba's recent economic shutdown. So attempting to bolster these lies, CBS ran a soundbite of a Cuban-based uh, reporter or producer. I can't even pronounce the last name. First name, Portia. Quote, the Trump administration passed many more regulations, many more sanctions against Cuba, which basically has cut off all income coming into Cuba. And I think the Biden administration, he at least said at the beginning he was going to review this policy and make changes. But nothing has happened. Now, that's the fine print, right? So Biden hasn't done anything. But they they trying to find a way to blame what's happening in Cuba on President Trump. Uh, there's This is just very interesting to watch, even after Trump's been out of office. Um, Barack Obama is really good at doing that, blaming anything negative, e economy or whatever else, on George W. Bush. Did Trump ever do that? I mean, if even if he tried, if President Trump in the first year or a year and a half of his presidency said, well, it was because of the Obama administration that this is happening here or there. Yeah, come on. How do you think the media would react? How do you think the liberal activists in the media would react if President Trump tried to do that? But anyway, the, there's CBS for you. See? BS. <laughs> okay. I'll leave it at that. Tomorrow, I can't wait to tell you who our guest is. He's a patriot pastor, friends. Liberty pastor. We'll talk about what the show's going to be about tomorrow on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Dr. Scott Lively will be with us tomorrow. He is actually working on a new amendment, the People's Protection from Medical Tyranny Act. And it's a bill to amend the Constitution of the United States and or the constitutions of individual states to restore the right of the citizenry to limit the powers they delegate to the federal government on their behalf in matters of public Health. This is this sounds like something that should have been enacted a long time ago. In other words, if things like this were in the works and, and end up getting uh, introduced and passed, the blue state governors and the and the totalitarians wouldn't be able to pressure and put so much have so much power when it comes to telling the citizens in each state what to do and what they can't do. Uh, I think it needs to be done. So it's People's Protection from Medical Tyranny Act. Um, so Scott Lively tomorrow, and we'll talk a lot more about Liberty Pastors. That's where I met him. I've been following him for several years, but met him there last year in, in Texas. Um, so thank you guys again for tuning in. I appreciate your support. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.